The following podcast is brought to you by the Indie Media Network. gentlemen welcome to this week's episode of the black podcast i am cameron todd scott aka i am who i say i am and i'm joined by you can just call me andres this week everybody ladies and gentlemen we are here at the black podcast and we are happy to have you i can tell you've been watching the world cup look man (laughs) (laughs) it's good to be here again once again with my man and uh we're gonna have a very very exciting show for you guys today so just hang on to your seats that's the plan but before we get started get into the show tell me about your week bro what's been going on man it has been a very very busy week man i have a whole lot of stuff coming up so it's just been planning and planning and more planning and eventually is that your way of telling me none of my business not really but the the, i don't want everybody to know because you know i'm kind of i'm more of a personal type person i i kind of give my mind to the people um out there in the interwebs. However, my personal life, it kind of remains that way until things happen. Because to me, potential energy, potential plans, they're really nothing. So until it is actually something that happens, I kind of keep it on the hush. But I will tell you this, it's just a matter of calendar days right now before some very exciting things begin to happen. And when they do, people, you will be the like the eighth, probably the 10th to know, like not first. Because there's a lot of people who I have to tell first, and I don't have all of your phone numbers, so you probably won't hear till later on. How about you, man? How's your week been going? <laughs> that was a lot <laughs> to say absolutely nothing. <laughs> my week, man, uh, I had a crazy week. I had a lot of ups and downs in my week. So well, like a lot six of flags this week. Good one. There you go. A lot of ups and really just one down. First of all, I picked up a couple writing gigs. Congratulations, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, then I had my daughter's birthday on Monday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Peanut. Love yes. you. Uh, what else happened? Yesterday, which was Saturday because we record on Sundays. Yesterday was one of my best friends, my friend from like 30 plus years. He celebrated his wedding anniversary, he and his wife. I don't think you'll mind me saying his name. So Ben and Ann, happy 11th anniversary. I love you guys and make it 11 plus infinity more. Infinity, more, whichever e- that Infinity. There you go. Infinity. That's that's how much I mean it. So you've been on there for about 30 years. So when you was like 43, you guys met? So you got jokes today. Man. I do. A little you bit. got jokes. Oh, I do have. Uh, we did actually because we just wrapped um, since you kind of. No, no, the, no, look, no. You, you can't go you back now. You said you didn't have anything. You didn't want to talk about your week. Because your amazingness, your your editing, no, audio, no, visual. No, you slipped me a prowess. piece of paper that said, I don't want to share anything with our <laughs> listeners. So don't try to go back on it now. But I did say, and the listeners, look, go back and make sure you tweet Cam um, at the Black Podcast when I tell you that I did say until it happened. So yesterday, this did actually happen. But we got to premiere the first three episodes of season two of Dexter Jackson's Guide to Dating, which is a TPN original um, comedy. So that is very good. And I am the DP of that one. So I DP that and I actually got a role. So, you know, what does that mean? The dark person? I was one of them. One of the dark people, man. Um, I can't help it. But black is beautiful. So stop hating. I'm darker than you, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> chocolate here. <laughs> but but that was something that was exciting, though. So 
Okay, that's, I mean, that's you inspired good. me, man, because you're out there editing and writing and stuff like that, man. I'd be glad when I have time to write, but that's what my future plans are about. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, before we move on, man, I just want to say uh, my next door neighbor, he passed away this week. Oh, and I so, remember you telling me about him. Yeah, I just want to send thoughts and prayers and my Definitely. condolences to his family, Miss Martha, his kids, Rebecca and Steve, and his grandkids. Mr. Bill, rest in peace, sir. I, I hope you have found the rest that you deserve because you were a great man on this earth. And thank you for allowing me to share and be a part of your world while you were here. So rest in peace, that. Mr. Bill. And also to uh, my best friend, his his and his wife's, uh, well, actually his wife's dad, his father-in-law, they just buried him yesterday. So uh, one of the coolest cats, man, you could ever see, man. Brother Larry, man, that dude was, when I tell you, he's clean in everything he does. Mm. Um, he's real clean. So I'm definitely glad I had opportunity to get to meet that gentleman before he uh, left this place. So um, my condolences to that family yeah, as also, well. Also, B, Jen, you know, we love you. So uh, remember, I told you I had a crazy week, ups and downs. So I gave you the good parts, you know, the, the gigs I, I secured for mm -hmm. the week and all that good stuff, my daughter's uh, my daughter's birthday, my friend's anniversary, so all that stuff was cool. The crazy part was I got hit on by a dude at Home Depot. <laughs> I mean, uh, let, how, how did you respond to that? Let me tell you the story. I go to Home Depot because I had to get a couple spare keys made. So I'm standing at the Did keys. he get one? I'm going there. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I'm standing at the key machine. I'm in a line behind maybe two other people. I'm sorry, the kiosk. <laughs> There's a guy in front of me. And, you know, my thing is I, I like to smell good. You know, people know me from smelling good, kind of my thing. So the guy turned around and he said, excuse me, what is that you're wearing? So I told him what it is. And I didn't think anything of it, you know, because there are times where I smell a guy and I'm like, hey, bro, what's that you're wearing? Mm -hmm. So, you know, didn't think anything of it. He moves up to get his key made, and he has a couple keys made. So I'm standing in line just waiting. So when he gets his key made, he turns around to me and hands me the extra key and said, use it anytime you want. Wow. How very forward. And you know how you always say to yourself, if I'm ever in one of these situations, I'd react this way or I'd react that way. But when it happens, you're just kind of standing there like, did, did this just happen? What was that? This is my thing. I don't think that necessarily... Because I've actually, and it was years ago, but I've had it happen to me too. I was in a subway shop, but um, I had it happen to me as well. And I never thought I'd actually have any adverse reactions to it. However, for if someone would have come to me and just handed me a key to their home and said, use it when I feel like it. I mean, I don't care in any situation. I don't care if it's a hetero or homosexual uh, situation. That is just It just throwed me, period. Yeah, because, that's, that's forward. Because I don't have homophobia. So right, it wasn't exactly. That. But that's just super It's just forward. the fact that, dude, I could be a serial killer. You have no clue You don't know who, who I am. Right. You're just giving me a key because you like the way I smell. But I still just think it was crazy, the fact that I got hit on at the key machine at Home Depot. But I bet you walked away skipping a little bit because somebody else thought, thought that you was handsome. Though, it man. may have lifted my confidence. A bit. A I'm bit, not ashamed man. of that. Hey, man, let your ego be touched, brother. Let Hater. your ego be touched, man. <laughs> so that's all I got to say about that, man. Look, speaking of, <laughs> you ready to get into this thing, man? Absolutely not. Oh, man. But we're going to do it anyway. anyway. No doubt. No doubt, man. I just want to um, give a shout out to your old uncle, um, John. John Shatner. Man, you know, the, the founder of Papa John, old bro. Papa. Old Papa John, man. And has, <laughs> he's just, I think he has fully solidified his position as the top racist pizza provider probably in the history 
of racist pizza providers, man. Now you see why he didn't like putting black olives on his pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the drum? <laughs> I like it. I like it. That was cute, man. But this dude, he can't get right. He cannot get right when it comes to black. So he might as well just go ahead and say, I don't like you. I don't like y'all. I think you guys are here beneath me and all of that other good stuff because he does it anyway. So, yeah. I mean, just put that statement out and then let, you know, let people who really, really, really like your pizza and don't care about your position go ahead and buy anyway and continue to put millions of you know dollars in your pocket, which you kind of need because you just lost about another 70 million when the stock dropped again. But his position is that, hey, if Colonel Sanders called them niggers, why can't I, you know? For the most part, and I don't think that was cool, especially while you're kind of like in an intervention. I mean, his publishers are like, you know what? We we, we just gonna go ahead and let you go because um, there's no fixing you, bro. You know, and I don't know where it comes from. I mean, well, we kind of know where it comes from, but you have to be a little bit of, a little bit smarter than that, especially if you don't mind, because black folks like Papa John's pizza. I mean, they or at least they did. You know, I haven't had it in a few years. I mean, it wasn't because of you know the racial thing that kicked off about a year ago i just stopped eating it some time ago anyway so. yeah because he started with cap so when you know when um uh colin kaepernick was kneeling and stuff he kind of made mm -hmm. some yeah. uh, derogatory statements about that as well uh, so yeah this continues so man john bro oh somewhere in your future you kind of start realizing that uh the world is kind of changing just a little bit if ever you know so slightly so you might want to go ahead and get on board or go ahead and plan on being broke and probably jump in the street somewhere so, <laughs> but um, also something else that kind of, and I don't even know where to place this as far as on my excitement level, because it's almost a, a no win situation. But I don't know if you, you heard about the reopening of Emmett Till's case um, after 63 years. I heard about it. I don't like it. Talk to me. I don't like it. It was mishandled in the first place. Mm hmm. Now all the people involved in the case are dead. Except the one. The one lady who made the original accusation is 84 years I old. I thought she had passed away, so I misspoke. No, she, she hadn't. No, the two, her, her husband. I know her husband. Her husband and her brother-in-law. Okay. Who actually committed the crime. Um, they're both dead. And after they were acquitted, they both um, eventually admitted to killing Emmett Till. So this is my thing. After 63 years... What justice would this system possibly put on an 84-year-old white woman from Mississippi? It's just not going to happen. I don't care if she goes in there and says, yes, I lied. That dude didn't whistle at me. That young man actually did nothing wrong. But she's already said whatever he did didn't qualify for him to be beaten and murdered that way. I don't she did an interview a couple of years ago where she admitted that. Yeah. She lied mm -hmm. and what she said took place didn't happen. Exactly. And it was also in the book as well. Mm -hmm. So she's admitted that, which I think has, they're kind of being hush us on exactly what part of the case they're reopening and reexamining. However, that's the only thing it can be because the actual murderers are dead right now. So it has to be her lying on the witness stand and committing perjury. But again, like I said, what would they ever inflict upon an 84 year old white woman from Mississippi where lynchings still occur and go unsolved? uninvestigated basically the trees stay standing and everything else like that so yeah. there's still a idea in mississippi that this is kind of cool in some places or they call them suicides and my comment in hindsight my comment was insensitive to say that 
there's no need to do it because I don't know what type of closure that would provide for the remainder of Emmett Till's family, if anything. I don't know. But just from my stance, she's lived her full life from that point up until now. So to try and retro judge her, I don't know what's appropriate. I don't know what adequate punishment would fit that. So what do you do? Do you lock her up for the rest of her life? The same thing that you would do to Bill Cosby for being found guilty at his age. Because Bill Cosby is what? He's in his 80s now? Or or damn near. No, he's in his 80s. Like, so the same thing that would be inflicted upon him. Or and what's that? Because nothing has happened with him at this point. Well, but... He hasn't but, been sentenced yet. Exactly. He hasn't been sentenced yet. But whatever it comes... Because I don't... I have, I have serious doubts that Bill Cosby will receive any leniency because he can't see as well. Or because, you know, his, his eyesight is failing or anything else. I seriously doubt that. And because, of course, when it comes to black affluent men of power and influence, there is going to be a lot less opportunity for the justice system to look the other way. And he will be, for all intents and purposes, made an example of. So you're saying that a man who drugged and raped women, which is bad. I'm not trying to lessen mm-hmm. what he did because it was horrible. Exactly. It, it was. But you're saying that a man who drugged and raped women should receive the same penalty as a woman who lied and subsequently was the cause of a young boy's death, let's, murder? Let's switch that around. I'm saying that a white woman who lied and was a subsequent cause of a rape and murder should get the same penalty as a man, as a black man, who will likely be sentenced, if anything, and his age would not come into account when being judged. And I believe that he would end up behind bars. So what I'm saying is that there should be no differential treatment for either of them. So if he's going to jail, she should go to jail. So that's all I'm saying. So neither should be let off because of their crimes if they were, you know, indeed found guilty. If you were the judge in this case, Mm -hmm. if the case is reopened and you were the judge sitting on this case, what would your judgment be? I would like to believe that if I were the judge in this case, regardless of how long it was, and of course, you know, statutes of limitations are and all of that stuff, but not withholding that whatever the law said should happen, should happen. But the law is interpreted loosely, very loosely. But so how I think do you it, how do you fix a sentence or a judgment on her in this case? You really can't. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. Um, I would venture to say whatever the laws are in that state is what should be applied and that no consideration of her age or anything else should be taken. That is that is how I would judge that. Well, you know, Mississippi is a little different. And she is 84 years old and she is a white woman. So I definitely don't expect too much. So let's go ahead and get off of that. Um, I'm laughing at you how you say it. Let's get off of that. Like I brought it up. You, you brought no, it up. No, I'm not at <laughs> I don't want to get that lady no more attention, man, because she done pissed us off. I mean, that, that kind of sparked a lot of the civil rights movement and stuff, man, because no, of that, man. And, and I mean, you know, his his mom was so distraught by it and so turned off that she, you know, told him to have an open casket for that man, you know, for that young man, just to see what happens. And and I just get these pictures of, of black people hanging from trees and the groves of white people staying around smiling. And with the kids sitting there watching and the pictures and the cameras out. It was so, an activity for them. Exactly. It was a recreational activity. So, yeah, it's, it's disgusting, man. It is disgusting. Let's go ahead and move off it, though, because I know how you get when your blood pressure get up. So. Hey, man, look here. I start pushing stuff over, flipping over tables and computers and stuff. Not my computer, but um, anyway, <laughs> what I'm starting to see now, man, we talk about this kind of, you know, football season. 
you know, it's kind of around the corner, but I'm not sure if you're aware that the NFL has enacted, maybe they should call it the Kaepernick rule, where they say that if you are on the field during the national anthem, you are required to stand. Mm -hmm. But what they will do, and I'm kind of like air quoting this, is allow you to not be on the field if you choose to not stand during that time. You can choose to remain in the locker room. Well, the National Football League Players Association has filed a grievance against the NFL to um, or over that rule on behalf of the anti-kneeling policy, basically. And they're saying that it's um, it's unconstitutional and that it should not be enacted and the players should still be able to exercise their rights to stand kneel or even silently protest however they feel. And being right now, I'm in a job where we do have a union. And on the surface, it seems like a real good thing that the Players Association is doing as far as their union goes. However, knowing how weak unions are, I mean, these are not the Jimmy Hoffa days. So more times than not, especially with my union, I'm not going to say where I work, but with my union, they're more in bed with the man. And it kind of seems like the Players Association are in the same position it's almost a lose-lose or bittersweet, or I don't even know what to call it, man. What do you think about that? I can tell you why nothing's going to come of this. And I equate this to black people and the way we fight an issue. Mm-hmm. We don't fight the head. We always start at a leg or an arm or something. <laughs> and, and we never attack the brain and just kill the thing where it lives. Yeah. The Players Association is fighting the owners. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win that battle. It's going to be a tough battle to win. You're not going to win it, yeah. ever. So what you do is you take it outside of the league, you present this to a court, and you fight it from the stance of removing the NFL's contract with the Department of Justice, which instituted this policy back in 2009. Because before then, there were no national anthems played before the games. Right, no. Mm -mm. So what we have now is just an exercise in paid patriotism. It's a money thing, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they got paid. The NFL receives money from the Department of Justice. (laughs) Yeah, so fight it on that level because you're not going to win with the owners. Right, exactly. Because the owners are getting paid off this regardless. Only way you win with the owners on that field is for the 73% blacks to unite and to say, you know what, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to all stick together and we're going to all kneel together. Damn what your rule says, because you're not going to suspend us all. You're not going to bring in these college players early. You're not going to bring in the the you know semi-pro people you need your money, and you know that the only way that you guys get money is if you get ratings, you get watched, you get um, you get people to watch you, you get merchandising sold, you get people to show up to these games, season tickets, all of that other good stuff. Yeah. So when the 73% of the black players decide to unite and say, this is what we're going to do right here, right now on this field, that's the quickest way that you're going to change. Not to say changing. I told you so, but if you go back to episode two, I told you so. You did. You, I, I mean, said until you every player you unites did. and say, you know what? If you're going to try to silence my right, my constitutional right yeah. to kneel during the anthem, I'm not playing. Yeah. But it has to be that united front. Like you said, every player has to do it. Because if it's just one or two, I mean, we saw what Kaepernick, Eric Reed, Who was blackballed as well. Who was blackballed yeah. as well. That strategy doesn't work. Yeah. Because, again, they can just brush you aside. Yeah. But don't be sitting there like you had some big aha moment in episode two. That wasn't nothing new. You ain't come up with some grandiose idea that was just cams alone. We all know that it's going to take a united front. I'm clairvoyant, bro. Don't take that from me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Listen, this isn't a trending topic, but this is something that uh, I've been thinking about over the past week. 
it's July now. So we're in the seventh month of the year. And it feels like it. And I realized that I have not stayed true to a single New Year's resolution that I started. Where are you on your, on your resolutions? Because mine was to drink more water, practice my Spanish, and to learn how to swim. And I have yet to start any of those things. What seems funny is that I've practiced your New Year's resolutions because you see how I open the show. Andres is here. So that's kind of my Spanglish. That's racist. By I way. know how to Hey, look, I got a Mexican friend. No. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Uh, Colorado, you know, I lived in Colorado for five years. So and uh, I was born in Los Angeles. It ain't never Mexicali out there. Again, racist. Hey, that's, that's OK. <laughs> that's, that, that's what they call themselves. But we cool. We cool to my hombres. But uh, <laughs> I can swim. I've been swimming for a long time, and I drink plenty of water. I didn't ask you to bash me about my non-committal Look, issues, man. What have you not followed through on? Um, I don't make New Year's resolutions, so it's kind of hard to fail when I don't make resolutions. You see that, kid? You see that? He's trying to be it. all uppity this episode. You, you're catching that, right? Not at all. I'm, it, I'm very truthful. So I don't do that. However, I make plans and I do my I best. I do not make New Year's resolutions for that is beneath me. That is for the plebeian. I smell, is that? I think I smell hater, but I am on track. No, that's a loathing you smell. I, <laughs> a loathe of bread, whatever, man. I stay, I, I try to make my plans and I, I work those plans. So right now I'm actually working those plans and mine are on a sliding scale so i get to push mine out a little bit further and a little bit further <laughs> so one thing i did want to do a lot more of this year was write, but a lot of the plans i have now are freeing me up to be able to have that extra time to write so they're they're fluid bro they're fluid man okay what are you uh, drinking now i drink water i mean but i don't no, right drink now as what, much what's in that little cup that you've been putting up to your lips oh that's a lemonade that's not water see that's all you got to do but man. but I haven't drank soda in over a year. Congratulations. That's so good. that's that, my that thing. Because, you know, that was that was my vice, man. That helps, man. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Because, you know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. Yeah. I don't do drugs. But my vice was soda and ice cream. Mountain Dew is crack, though. I ain't giving up ice cream. Mountain, Mountain Dew is crack. I don't care what you say. So <laughs> I like my habit. You might as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, man? Let's move right along, man. What do we got? Is it time for our Black Light segment? No, it is not. But it is time for the blackest shit I've heard all week. I did that last week, too. You do it every week. You know, it's only two weeks. Shut up. You do it it's every only, week. I'm trying to see if you're on your toes because that's how I write my notes. So leave me alone. You know what? <laughs> Since you want to talk it, <laughs> I'm happy to say that the blackest shit I've heard all week comes from Florida. <laughs> Where else? <laughs> Get off my state, bro. Hey, man, they, they, they stay in the news. It doesn't matter what it is. They stay there. So, um... Junior Francis, um, young man from Florida, South. What's South. his name? Junior. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Junior Francis. Yeah, I know him. Do you know? Yeah. Tell me, you know, you don't know Junior Francis. No, we all know a Junior Francis. Everybody know Junior yeah. Francis. Well, Junior Francis and is here today, going again, going tomorrow. Girls, share a Mercedes Benz C three hundred, which is kind of one of the dumbest things you can do, is go halfsies on a car with your girl, with your gal, but um. Apparently, both of them needed their car at the same time. And so, <laughs> yeah, she just happened to beat him to the driver's seat. So it's like finders keepers, right? So Junior wasn't having it. And what Junior decided to do was jump on the hood of the car. And so I guess she felt, look, I got to go pick my baby up from the babysitter. So I'm going to go ahead on and take off. And while they're driving down I-95 about 15 miles and 70 miles per hour later, 
Poe Jr. is still on the hood of that car. <laughs> but let me tell you this. I'm giving Jr. the strongest left hand award because he held on to that damn car with one hand and with the other one, he was calling the police while he was driving down. And it, trust me, there's a video for it because, you know, somebody's always recording. So Junior didn't fall off for 15 miles. He did not fall off. So finally she pulls over and she ends up getting arrested. But I think the timer went off on the off again and they were on again because he did not press charges on his baby mama. You know why? Because Florida. Because Florida. That's it, man. Two things. Again, he's got a strong-ass hand. And <laughs> if they would have thought about it, for the price of a C300, they could have got two used Hyundais and both had a car. But that's the blackest <laughs> shit I've heard all week, man. <laughs> that is crazy. And I'm only laughing because, again, I, I, I know many true. people like Junior. <laughs> junior is Florida man. Ju- Florida man, he Junior. Is, he is an yes. iteration of Florida man. For me, man, the blackest shit I've heard all week was a woman in Wisconsin facing felony drug charges after police found nearly 82 grams of drugs in her vagina. Ooh. Yes. The woman was arrested after police pulled over the 1997 Monte Carlo she was driving. That's how you know she's black right there. <laughs> you know she's black. <laughs> her companion in the passenger seat was a well-known convicted drug dealer. So the officer pulled over the car after receiving a tip that the couple might be selling heroin cocaine, marijuana, meth, and some other miscellaneous drugs. Wow. After being stopped, a police dog showed particular interest in the driver's seat where the lady had been sitting. So one of the officers got curious and conducted a a strip search Mm. on the young woman. At that point, she admitted that she had inserted something up into her vagina. Fast forward, they took it to the hospital, do a CT scan on her pelvic area, and it was revealed that there was a plastic bag the size of a human fist that contained almost 82 grams of illegal drugs. Wow. Needless to say that her vagina developed a serious drug addiction. But the good news <laughs> is it's been ordered to go to drug rehab, so it should be fine by next week. Oh, man. And that is the blackest shit I've heard all week. That girl been doing her kegels because <laughs> she, you can hold all of that in there. That's that's pretty doggone good, boy. You so disrespectful. Hey, no, she was. <laughs> That's drug abuse. You can do that stuff right there, man. We're going to sniff that. I don't like it. We're going to sniff that, man. Nash oh, ass. Man, that's funny. <laughs> All right, man. So let's move on to our black light. We're finally at the black light segment. Right? This is where we come into the black light. So. <laughs> I knew that, man. Okay. I knew that. This week, man, for my black light, I shine my light on Ernest J. Grant. Ernest J. Grant has been elected president of the American Nurses Association. And when he takes office on January 1st, 2019, he will be the first man to serve as president of the organization that represents nearly 4 million registered nurses in the U.S., about 90 percent of whom are women. Dr. Grant is an internationally recognized burn care and fire safety expert and oversees the acclaimed North Carolina J.C. Burn Center at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He also serves as an adjunct faculty member at the UNC Chapel Hill School of Nursing, where he works with undergraduate and graduate nursing students in the classroom and in clinical settings. Dr. Grant, who has been affiliated with the University of North Carolina Hospitals for 36 years, will step down from his post in order to devote his attention to his duties as president of the American Nurses Association. Dr. Grant's credentials include a licensed practical nurse degree from Asheville Buncombe Technical Community College, a bachelor's degree in nursing from North Carolina Central University in Durham, a master's degree in nursing education, and a doctorate in nursing from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. 
Wow. That's a lot of education, bro. He's giving Carolina a lot of money. Yes, sir. That's what's up. <laughs> so, Dr. Ernest J. Grant, for this milestone accomplishment, I, sir, shine my black light on you, and I wish you all the best moving into your new position. Salute to you, Dr. Grant. That is amazing. Wow. My black light this week comes on, man. I, I, I was sitting contemplating, and I was like, wow. And I'm looking at black folks, man. And I actually just want to shine my black light on the actual heart of black people. So I'm doing this for the culture right now because what I've discovered is that, well, not discovered, but what I was thinking about is that everything we've been through from our arrival, as far as from slavery, from Jim Crow and segregation to current police attacks, uh, the disparate treatment that we receive, blatant discrimination, uh, getting kicked out of Waffle Houses and Starbucks. And the and, list goes over. And Barbecue Beckys and everything else. <laughs> what we do is we don't just persevere, but we do it with smiles on our faces. And through all the attacks launched against us, what we constantly do is we will only respond. We do not initiate. We don't attack others. And it almost looks like, I mean, we don't hold grudges or animosity. It almost looks like instant forgiveness. And that's something that I see from blacks all the time. It is rare that I go out and I just see angry black people. It doesn't really happen. Not when it comes no. to everything that we've been through. All we want to do is live and just continue surviving from day to day, loving one another, enjoying ourselves, kicking, uh, seeing if they love you, doing these dumbass challenges or whatever. But we don't have that animosity in our hearts. And so I just want to shine my black light on the heart of black people as a culture, as a community um, today. So just giving the culture some love, just huh? giving the culture some love this week, man. I'm with it. Ladies and gentlemen, sit tight. We will be right back after the break. Show sure will. If you have an online service or product you would like advertised on the show, contact us at theblackpodcast at gmail.com. That's theblackpodcast at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Thank you for coming back, everybody. We are here and we are still in full effect. So it's time to get into our main topic, everybody. Um, it's great to see the number of fathers. And of course, I speak from a uh, father perspective first because I'm a black man and I am a black father. My co-host is actually a father as well. How does your daughter care? My daughter is 21. She's yeah. old and crusty now. So what does that make you? Older and crustier. I've already that answered that. That makes me so. sage. Move. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a seasoning? <laughs> but moving on, <laughs> we're just going to talk about a little bit about black parenting today, y'all, and um, how it applies to us as black people. And of course, because we come from a black lens. And so um, as far as a discipline standpoint, Cam, how do you how do you look at discipline when it comes to I mean, of course, your daughter's 21, but you still have to give a fatherly ear. Mm -hmm. But from a younger age up to now, how did you address the, the disciplinary tactics that you use? I was very blessed in this regard. My daughter, she gave me minimal problems. The stuff that I had to contend with was probably her being too chatty at school. I mean, that was really the extent of what I had to deal with my daughter. So as far as the discipline, it sounds weird, but some parents may be able to identify with this. My daughter, she's self-disciplined because it really hurt her to disappoint me. And because of that, she really walked a fine line. And it's not that she was afraid of being anything because we didn't have that type of relationship. I mean, my daughter, she could talk to me about anything and still does to this day. But just the fact that 
she didn't want to disappoint me. I honestly didn't have to discipline her much at all. And maybe that's the whole father-daughter dynamic thing, you know, daddy's little girl, and maybe that played a huge part into it. But I didn't have to do much discipline at all. Now, I'm sure her mother has a totally different story. But for me, it was no more than a stern look or, you know, just drop that bass in your voice a little bit. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> Did and, that scare her? And whatever it was, I mean, it instantly went away. And it's, it's for me, it's, it's weird because you have one daughter, man. I have five sons right now. My wife and I, we have five sons combined. We are a combined family. And I have the two bookends. Of course, I have a one-year-old. He'll be two in March. And then I have a 24-year-old and we have everything in between. And this is something that we'll, this is another part we'll discuss as well as far as step parenting, but I've been a step parent as well. I am a, I'm a step parent now. So that's also important. But when it comes to me and discipline, what I've learned is. Before you make a point, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to cut y'all, but I just want to take a rare opportunity and compliment you. And God knows that doesn't happen much. <laughs> so shh, everybody be quiet, be quiet. Mark this down. But what I will say, man, just knowing you and your wife and your family, I've never once heard you mention them as your stepkids. You've always said my kids, you know, mm -hmm. my sons, my daughters. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot about your character. So I do just want to tell you, man, that I'm proud of you and I do applaud that. That's something else we're going to get into as well during this segment. So maybe I just should have shut up and wait for that you part. Probably, but that's OK, because you're going to have to do it again. So Cam may have to. That's the only compliment. Compl you no, you're complimenting bro. me more than that's once. That's the only one you get. Hey, you have to do it when it's right, man. But I'll take that one as well. <laughs> and do not edit that out either. So, But when it comes to discipline, this is something that I've learned. And it's a very, very valuable lesson. Just say with the five children that I have in the home right now, which a couple of them are trying to usher out. And that's something else we'll talk about as well. We, you know, we have a lot of layers to this discussion today, y'all. So please hold on tight and listen closely. Uh, you might learn something, but it's about personalities. It's about management. When it comes down to my children and the disciplinary measures, because I believe in whooping ass, don't get it twisted. Um, I do not spare the rod and I don't beat or abuse my children because it's about giving equal parts love, equal parts mentorship, equal parts fun. So you didn't ask parts, me that part. All you didn't of that ask stuff. me if I believed in it. Cam, we work together all the time. I know. Okay. All right. If anybody all believes right. in that, you do. Because right. you be trying to come. Look, I told you. Look. I done whipped you a couple oh, times. You ain't whip shit. But <laughs> <laughs> you better not try neither. Get your <laughs> I know. But it's it's about looking at each individual person because I treat all my children with fairness, but fair is not equal. So that means if there's one child I can look at and yell at and he'll do exactly what I say because I can yell at him. He's just like, all right, cool. I'm sorry. I almost called his name out. Anyway, just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't be putting him on. Because I know exactly Don't be putting him out there. <laughs> and then there's one that I can yell at and he'll kind of shriek away because that's not how you reach him. Mm -hmm. I can talk to him, explain a few things to him, and he's like, okay, now I get it. Whereas if I try that with the other one, He's like, uh, this don't work with me, you know, so I'm going to put him in a headlock or something else like that. Dragon kick to the chest. And there's nothing wrong with a dragon a kick to the mm -hmm. chest. Double kick. Exactly. Straight but to the chest. That's why you wear shoes with no name brands on the bottom so they can't tell. You got to wrap your feet in towels. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't kick a hole in something or two. I might have kicked a child or two in my life. <laughs> oh my Maybe. Gosh. <laughs> but... That's what it's about. It's about knowing your kids. It's about being able to, to to discipline according to what it is they respond to. And if we don't pay attention as parents, we will never know that. And we will miss that so often. Being that we're talking about step parenting and blended families, mm -hmm. what was the biggest challenge for you upon getting married and creating this blended family? <laughs> Folks, if you don't listen to anything else, 
you have to be prepared. It is hell, especially when you have children and they've had an influence from their other biological parent or even if they haven't, because you end up being a person who is coming into a wolf pack already. So you're the outsider. You have to find ways to get them to accept you because you don't have a choice but to accept them. Mm -hmm. But you have to find a way to get them to see you as dad or or for women to see you as mom and not just, that's my stepmom, that's my step. Because of course, step parents, they come with the, with the adjective evil. A lot of them, evil stepmother. <laughs> I mean, they the wicked yeah. stepmother. They've made cartoons, Disney cartoons about it. And I actually had one of those coming up. So I can attest that that is real. And I vow to never be that, which is why in a former marriage and previous marriage I had, who I would call my oldest daughter now, she's actually no relation to me anymore at all because her mom and I are divorced and been divorced. However, I've been in her life since she was eight and she's 28 years old now. And it's because of a bond that I created with her and that we've nurtured and grown and trust and trials and tribulations throughout the years. So now she respects me and she'll call me many times before she calls her father, who she has a great relationship with as well and so it's about being prepared to come in there and to fight for what's yours because they're yours at that point i didn't mean to take you off track I'm no sorry. that's Go that's ahead. good but that's exactly where we wanted to go so from that standpoint because i am a step parent technically and i'm married we'll ask you from a single parent perspective mm -hmm. so how did that dynamic work out because i'm guessing that as you and your daughter you know or, or as you watched her grow up and she had you and her mother both in their lives how mm -hmm. does that work out how does that dynamic go down our relationship ended when my daughter was a year and a half. So, I mean, this is 20 years now with me and my daughter's mom, you know, mm -hmm. with co-parenting our daughter with us not being in a relationship. There's been some struggles, but that's only because people have different parenting styles. Yeah. And, you know, I do this or I let my daughter do this at my house that her mom might not do and vice versa. So, I mean, if anything, my daughter had to learn the roles. You know, well, I'm with daddy now, so I can't do these things. Or I'm with mommy now, so I can't do this, even though dad lets me do it. So, right. I mean, it was a learning, a bigger learning curve for my daughter than it was for me or her mom. Did you do the promotion as far as her connection with her mom when she was with you? Or did you just allow that to just say, like, I've seen single parents who will say, okay, it's your dad's birthday, call your dad. Or you know, call your dad because of this, this is going on, I'm going to call your dad. Or did you just let that organically happen? Or did you kind of help facilitate that? It was already there. Okay. It was already there because my daughter had access to both of us at all mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And before I moved to Atlanta, when I was still, you know, living in Florida, I lived maybe 10 minutes away from my daughter. Got you. So her mom would take her to school every morning. I would pick her up and I would keep her until her mom got off that night and I would take her home. And that was our, our routine. And I had her on weekends anyway. So I saw my daughter every day from the time she was born up until what nine years old until i moved to atlanta i'll tell you this because i struggled with my oldest son when me and his mom separated when he was three years old and like i said he's 24 now i was living in atlanta he was in jacksonville florida and so during the holidays i would get him and even when i moved to colorado i'd always make sure that he was with me mm -hmm. and i did that however there came times where we had to overcome some bitterness and, you know, this is, we're transparent here. So some bitterness and some things that he was too young to be to be given access to at that time. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure that while he was receiving bogus information that I was not giving him bogus information. So I definitely caution anyone out here out there who's not married and who's dealing with split time or custody or visitation with their child's other parent that no matter what they may do or say, 
that you always just give that child love and that you don't speak badly about that other parent to that child. Because what happens is, is children are super smart. They are so much smarter than we give them credit for, even at a young age. They're going to figure that out and they're going to resent you for talking bad about the person that they love. Because whether you like them or not, they still love them. Here's the thing that I presented at all times in front of my daughter. And you can ask my daughter right now. She's never heard me say a bad word about her mom. Same with my son. Ever. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened on the other side, I can't speak for what her mom told her or taught her about me. Whatever that is, that's that's of no consequence to me. And if there was something, it didn't work because my daughter and I, we have a great relationship. Oh, man, it's amazing. Yeah, but uh, it works out. Kind of going back to your last question, I guess I did champion for my daughter to be all inclusive with her mom because I was viewed as the fun parent. I know how that goes. And you know, you know, yeah, I know exactly how that goes. Yeah. You know how that works. Mm-hmm. You got the fun parent and then you have the disciplinarian. Yeah. I was the fun parent. I was the one, you know, called daddy. Or I'm going to daddy's house. And me and daddy's doing this. Yeah. And, and when she's home with her mom, because, you know, she physically lived with her mom. She had homework and she had chores and she had all of these things. And I did have to, I don't want to say I had to remind her, but I had to let her always know that I know what your mom is doing doesn't seem like fun, but trust me. The stuff that your mom is giving you right now, when you get older, you're going to realize that she was putting more important things in you than what daddy was putting into you by playing games and joking and laughing and having fun all the time. So just learn to appreciate your mom. I know it seems unfair and I know, you know, my mom's always making me do this and she's always writing me about this, but you're going to appreciate it one day. You're going to come of age to where you say, you know what? I'm glad my mom did those things for me. And I'm glad she stayed on me like she did. Exactly. Because a lot of times when we're in a situation, we're unable to hear the ideas, the the teachings that's coming from the person that's there with us. So you gave her that you broke down exactly what her mom was doing and why it was important, why those lessons were important for her to have while she was there. So, no, that's invaluable. So those things that you're creating are bonds that started from a young age. And no matter what that your daughter was able to see, my sons are able to see that, okay, you know what? This man is there. When he disciplines me, he's patting me on my head. When he's patting me on my head, he's wrestling and playing around with me. Again, again, I got boys. But even from the uh, children who I still claim from my former marriage, they still come around on holidays. They still call me. They confide in me. They talk with me. So we still communicate no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's all about growing relationships and being there, being present and giving equal parts love, discipline and everything else that they need to grow. So one more thing I wanted to address, and this is this comes from something that I saw This was a debate that was ongoing about the step parent, about whose word is law in the custodial parent's house with the step parent Mm -hmm. and with the other parent, the biological parent who's outside of the house. See, that applies to my situation. Which part? You're saying who has the final say, whose word is law. Exactly. Yeah. Mine was very simple. Mm -hmm. When you're here, these are the rules. There you go. And from a step parent perspective, you have just say, you know, I'm, I'm a father. So you have a, a biological father who's outside of the house. First things first, I'm the man of the house, wherever that child lives. And if that child resides with me and her mom, then that is my house. I am the king of that castle. My word is law when it comes to anything that resides that takes place under that roof. Mm-hmm. So anything outside, it does not have any bearing on what goes on inside of that house. However, And this is what I truly believe. You should never exclude when it comes to big life decisions for that child, the biological parent. Just say if this person or if her father wants 
or, or has always looked at private school and wants his child to go to private school, he should be able to have that input. He should be able to have consideration in that along with her mom. Especially if he's paying for it. Especially if he's paying for it. <laughs> and, and, but you don't exclude the wisdom of the parent that actually gets to see that child grow every single day. My opinion on that is, in an ideal situation, that step-husband or step-wife would understand that the person that they marry is a replacement for their ex-spouse, not that that person is a replacement for that child's parent. Exactly. What I've also seen as well, and I think this is probably more dominant in men, is that there's a sense of pride because I've heard before, and I, I think it happens with women, but I'm a man, so I've seen it more as a stepfather, that, okay, now I don't want another man trying to tell my child what to do. I don't want some other dude trying to raise my kid. What we're not doing is not looking at what's at the best interest for that child because many times that child sees that man every single day. That man is providing all of that child's needs in there every single day. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and it, it goes from finance, it goes for, to protection or something else like that. So, and, and this is a quick side note. There was times when I would date someone who had children. And of course, as you get to a, a certain age, you know, if you're single and you're dating someone, chances are they're going to have children. So you talk about that and I've heard that, okay, there's no, ain't no man go discipline my child. Well, my thing was always this. If I can do all of that other good stuff, then I'm going to discipline that child. And I'll tell you why. Imagine us being at a shopping center, shopping plaza, and that child will not obey me because you have told them they don't have to. And they decide to run out into traffic. I say stop, but my word means absolutely nothing. If they get hurt, killed, or anything like that, if I come home, are you going to say, oh, it's okay, because I didn't give you permission to do that? There has to be that healthy fear. There has to be that respect. And you have to have that, that ability because you're charged for protecting them as well. And that may mean that they have to have that healthy fear of you. So that was just a side note. That was an extreme example. But it's a real example. <laughs> it is a real example because if they won't Kids listen. run over by a car. And I'm Jeez. certain it's happened. <laughs> I'm certain it All has happened. All I was going to say quickly is any man with real sense would appreciate the help of another man helping raising his kids. Knowing that that man now is in a relationship with his former wife or former girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. If that new father is raising that child the right way. And I went through that. I've been through all angles of parenting. And so I went through that as well with my son and he had a stepfather or he still has a stepfather. And um, when he was actually living with my former wife and his stepfather, it was there was respect. I spoke to him and I talked to, to his stepfather. If there was ever an issue with him, he would call me. And even to this day, when there's something that happens, you know, he'll call me. Mm -hmm. But I respected that and I knew exactly who he was. And also, when you talk real man, one real man is not going to worry about some other man's relationship with him because that child will always know who you are if you make yourself present and if you constantly stay present in his life or her life. So that should never be an issue. So let's move along. When it comes to parenting, I've seen situations, issues, they have movies about it where you have a parent who is constantly working and doing everything they can to support that child to make sure that they don't want for anything, that the bills are always paid. However, sometimes the time they get to spend with that child goes to the wayside a little bit because they work all the time. Mm -hmm. So what's your take or your opinion on the time versus the support thing? And how do you fix that? Or how do you make sure that you balance that out while, especially from a single parent perspective, if you could speak on that? I can. I can because in the earlier part of my daughter's life, for a few years, I traveled the country doing shows. I was a musical director, so I traveled playing for different musical groups. Uh, I was a part of theater companies where I was a musical director, so I traveled with theater companies across the country doing shows. 
And I mean, I would be gone for stints, you know, weeks and months at a time. Mm-hmm. But even in that, you have to, you have to find that balance. Now, what your balance is, I don't know. I can't speak to another person's balance. I can only say you have to find a balance. And any time that you do get to spend with that child or children, you have to make it count. You have to make it be quality time because quality always supersedes quantity. Something that is given up, of course, when you're out working all the time is your time. Mm-hmm. So each minute has to count. So they may not necessarily get to know who you are. And at the same point, more importantly, you have to get to learn who they are because sometimes they're growing up without you. I feel that at some point, regardless of how much you work, no matter you know how much you're providing for and tending to, at some point you have to sacrifice to the point to where the child can see the sacrifice that you're making on their behalf to spend time with them. That's a good point, man. And let me take that a step further, man. And this is something that I struggle with now. So as I'm talking, listeners, don't ever think that I'm somebody who's like, oh, okay, I'm sitting on this high and mighty chair looking down, teaching to everybody because no, I'll talk to myself. These are lessons that I constantly and continually learn every day because, again, I have them from 1 to 24 right now. But my biggest issue is making sure that each child feels that love Mm -hmm. because especially with the baby. My baby, Nehemiah, he loves his dad. Cam, you've seen him with me. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be under his dad all the time. So it could be looked at by the other kids because I have four other boys that, okay, well, he really wants to spend all his time with him or with the baby, with the baby, with the baby. So I have to make sure that each person from time to time, and this is what you, you know, going back to what you said, I have to make sure that, okay, look, you know what? Uh, kid number three, let's go hang. Yeah. Let's go do something. Kid number four. And it's just that one-on-one and time. You have yeah. to have that one-on-one time because like you said, which is a great point, man, they have to see that sacrifice that you're making for them. And so it is a struggle, especially because as big as my family is, I work a lot. I do the podcast. I write. I'm filming. I'm stripping on the side, stripping on the side. And that's my biggest gig. I love that more than anything else. <laughs> but, Y'all can but, check him out at www.chocolatethunder.com. <laughs> you will not find me there. I'll tell you that. I promise you that. But it is a struggle. You have to juggle that and make sure that each of your children do feel like they are wanted. Um. And with that, man, when when you kick your kids out, <laughs> when, when they get, because you know, do you know that? And, and I've known, um, I mean, I have a diverse group of friends. So Koreans, they are, they have to stay with their parents for a certain amount of time, even if they're married. And there are certain cultures where there are cultural where, things exactly that, yeah, yeah. where it's almost taboo for the kids to leave. But uh, for some reason, in our in our society, we are those. Hey, when you turn eighteen, you're out of here. You know, you need to be gone. Whereas, like I said, I have a 24-year-old in my house right now. So what do you think about that age and, and what determines when that time comes? My dad, he had a 30-30 rule. 30 years old? No. When you turn 18, you got 30 days to go to school or 30 <laughs> oh days to go to the military. It was, <laughs> even though that didn't work in my case, I, yeah. I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college directly after high school, nor did I go to the military. So I don't know how I skated around that whole thing. But it worked, though. Ultimately, it worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. It worked out in the end. Uh, how do you know when to kick your kids out? I think that uh, if you raise your child the right way, whatever that right way is for you in your situation, your child will be ready to leave the home when they're adults because now they're ready to explore this world and this universe that you've told them about and to use all of these tools that you've equipped them with. Regardless of where we are with our children, we have to first of all remember that there is no, you can't treat every situation the same. No. No matter what you do, you love your children through it and you listen, 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 because my, my children have taught me so much because at the end of the day, and I promise you this, 
Whether I succeed or fail, I did my damnness and I did the best that I thought I could do for my children, each and every one of them. There are three things that I want to stress before we go into break. Stress it. Number one, it's important to let your children know that you're proud of them. They hear, I love you all the time. It's equally important that you let your children know that you're proud of them as well. Number two, I want to speak to my single dads for a second. This is a valuable lesson that I learned. It helped me through raising my daughter, and hopefully it'll help you as much as it helped me. You do not have to live in the home with your child to be an excellent father. Amen. I will repeat it. You do not have to live in the home with your child to be an excellent father. Third thing would be, third and final thing, if all else fails, tie some towels around your feet and drag and kick them in the chest. All right, sit tight, and we will be back after the break. (laughs) The Black Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, be sure to check us out at theblackpodcast.net. Now back to the show. And now it's time for this week's open letters. Dear bros, bros, and bra. We have a serious issue on our hands. One that has permeated our very brotherhood and must be dealt with immediately. I'm talking about emojis. Under no circumstance is it acceptable for a man to ever text another man using an eye wink emoji, a tongue wagging emoji, a blushing face emoji, or anything of the like. And do you know why? Man code. Ironically, the English word man is derived from the Latin word man, which literally translates to, dude, don't be texting me no damn pouty-faced emoji. Now, there are some emojis that have been approved for use in accordance with the bro code handbook. These emojis are the LOL crying laughing emoji, the thumbs up, thumbs down emoji, and the piece of shit emoji. Those are the only acceptable emojis that men can send to one another. The only exception to this rule is sports season, in which case it's allowed to text the respective ball being used for said sport. Nothing else is permitted. Well, except for the little cute monkey emojis, because I mean, come on, who doesn't love monkeys? But I digress. The point here is to illustrate that there are just some things that men shouldn't text to one another. And FYI, going forward, all text messages will be monitored and violators will be brought before the council at the next manhood meeting, which, by the way, is next Tuesday at three o'clock. Don't forget your covered dish. Sincerely, Cam. Dear millennials or Generation Z, whatever the hell you are, I admit that I don't actually know what years you fall under. But I can identify you as soon as you speak or do something, well, millennialistic in nature. But I'm not writing to argue semantics. Note to self, explain semantics. I'm writing to tell you that the next one of you who labels me a hater for simply not liking something or refusing to agree with you or I only do this for the likes, not for actual discussion, Facebook posts, will find themselves on the receiving end of an angry-ass black man old school beatdown. To be clear, you are only minutes older than the last dump I took, and you own nothing, 
have seen nothing, stand for nothing, know nothing, and will likely be nothing. Okay, that last one was a little harsh. But what in the discriminatory coffee shop can you possibly have that I would desire more than what I already possess? Could it be the luxury bedroom you occupy in your parents' home that you would rather burn down than leave? Or could it be the inability to speak in complete sentences but create a full paragraph in 40 characters or less? I know. It's got to be the lack of skill that it takes to argue the Jordan-LeBron debate. Outside of weighted statistics, of course. Yeah, I didn't think so either. So I'm biased towards certain music. But it's because I truly believe that the term rap implies words. And if I can't understand gibberish, I can't qualify something as rap. I also know that my sentences may be long, but it helps other adults and potential clients better understand me. And yes, I do thoroughly enjoy the juicy and flavorful meat from a cow. But just because you don't doesn't make you a hater. It just makes you misguided. If for some reason we don't connect, I can accept that. But to imply that I am jealous of anything you are is totally absurd. Now, I realize that the only way you may receive this is if I put it on Snapchat with some goofy-ass dog ears and animated tongue. But at least I tried. And if for some reason you can't understand what I wrote, ask your mom and them explain it to you as soon as they come home from the club. Sincerely, Crotchety AF. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is time for one of our favorite segments. If you're black, we can't be friends if. What you got today, bro? If you're black, we can't be friends if, growing up, you never had to eat a syrup sandwich. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. How many times has that cupboard been empty, bro, and you going there ain't no canned goods, all the meat going out of the refrigerator, no leftovers? Only sad thing about eating a syrup sandwich is not having the bread. And damn it, I had some of them days too, boy. <laughs> but just, just spread syrup on your hands. <laughs> yes, and clap them together and lick both palms. That's bad, bro. About that, bro. Wow. Man, I'm going to tell you this. What you got? If you're black, we can't be friends if you don't know the songs Before I Let Go, Happy Feelings, or For the Love of You and Less Than Two Beats. <laughs> Let's talk about it. That's all it takes, boy. Because I'm telling you, dun, dun, everybody's already on the floor. You already on it. And everybody, whoa, whoa. we already know it, though. So if you don't know those songs, man, just just get up out my friends list. That's all I know. I got another one to throw on that list, man. What you got? Outstanding. Gap Band. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. The man. first two measures. Yeah, if you ain't got it, we can't you, be friends, We bro. can't be friends. That's it, man. Those are the official songs of every black gathering. Barbecues, family reunions. Funerals. Repass. Graduations. All of them, bro. <laughs> Hopscotch winnings. Jack contests. Hula hoop. Anyway. Just point of reference. I was the fourth grade Hopscotch champion. You know, Just letting you know that. I bet you can't beat me in a game of Jacks. I would kill you on some four square, too. Probably would. Tetherball, anybody? Anyway. <laughs> you ain't exempt, Keita. You can get some, too. <laughs> she probably ain't never played a tetherball in her life. Challenge. Producer got spicy with you. Challenge. I'm just going to move on to the next segment. It is time. All right. So uh, we are moving into, I, I guess the name of this thing is I'm glad you asked because that's what we called it like I think five what it episodes is. ago. Yep, and we like never that. went back to it. I like it. Because we just raggedy like that. Well, I'm glad you asked. All right, well, here we go. In the mail bin today, we have a question from, and I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Probably ain't. Theresa. Sure. T-H-E-R-A-S-I-A. Sound like a breakdancer name, but go ahead. 
<laughs> the racer asks, what does it mean when a man says he's broken? Wow, that's, um, I guess it depends because I think many would would think that it it had something to do with one thing. But overall, I think it's a cry for help. I think when a man says he's broken, what he's saying is that I need somebody to hear me, to listen, to understand, and not necessarily fix anything because as men, we're really good at holding things and continuing on anyway. However, sometimes we need to be able to unleash or let something out. So it could be um, him expressing a hurt that comes from someone you know, in his past, it might be from his attempts to be a provider, be a father and juggle everything that he has, but yet being um, exasperated with all of the obstacles he faces. So a lot of times that could break a man. Um, there used to be a time when it would be the slave master trying to break somebody and it was a physical, it was a physical thing. But right now it could be more of a mental thing, sometimes emotional. So I think the best thing to do is to, uh, Ask him, listen, and use those magic four words. What do you need? What I think it means when a man says he's broken, normally that comes from a place of hurt. And that hurt was caused by a woman somewhere in his life. Whatever that dynamic was, mother, sister, ex-wife, girlfriend, daughter. Usually it stems from that. And it's not always easy to repair a man when he's in that spot. So you might have to exercise a lot more patience with this guy if he truly is broken. But I think it's it's probably related to a hurt he sustained in his past from a woman. Our next question comes from Roderick. Roderick writes, black people are our own worst enemy. Damn, Roderick just got right to the point, didn't he? Roderick, for real about that. <laughs> I think Roderick just got out of a fight. <laughs> black people are our own worst enemy. What do you think is our biggest problem when it comes to dealing with ourselves and how would you fix it? Uh, Roderick, I think that our worst problem is not really understanding our value as a collective people. I think if we saw one another like we saw ourselves, then we'd be able to extend that love that everyone deserves, especially in our community. And we could lift each other up from that point we could network from that point and we could come together and build and overcome any obstacle that is oppressing us at that point. I think that's the the biggest thing that we have. We just don't, we just don't stick together like we should. We don't come together. And if we do come together, we don't stick together as that family unit like we should. That's a real good point, bro. And it's kind of hand in hand with what I'm thinking, which is, most times, more times than not, and even with our main topic, we're talking about education. A lot of times we don't realize that no matter what our status is or our socioeconomic status, we are still in the same boat. We still have the same struggles and we need to be able to empathize one with another. I don't care if you have a million dollars or a dollar in your pocket. We still, because that dude who has a million dollars may still get uh, tased by that or tasered by that cop for doing nothing at all or tackled for going to the ATM to withdraw the money that he has that he's probably, you know, um, that he's paying that officer's salary. We, we all are. I don't care how much money we make. So the biggest thing we have to do is realize, is empathize with one another. And once we can do that and realize that I'm no better than you, you're no better than me, then we can come together and say, okay, now how do we defeat this common problem? Hove tried to tell y'all that on the story of OJ. <laughs> Play it back, learn that lesson. 
All right. Our last question comes from Felicia. And Felicia asks, why are men so crazy? I bet if Felicia sent a question today, it would be nothing like that. I think Felicia was having a very bad day and somebody pissed her off because <laughs> Drake will tell you that that's a very subjective statement. And um, I guess it depends on which man you're talking to um, or about because I know I'm crazy. However, why I am is probably because of a woman somewhere. And that's just a touche type of answer. So we're going to talk about crazy people. Um, a lot of times we're crazy because we just don't know what to do. Um, my mom used to use a term said, I'm at my wit's end. And what that's saying is that there's so much going on right now. I don't know exactly which way to go. And what that ends up being is a label such as crazy. Um, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't like to use labels because I really think that labels are the language of the people who don't seek to understand an individual. So maybe it's not crazy. Maybe he's screaming out or maybe we're screaming out and looking for some assistance. Maybe we're looking for some help or looking for somebody to say, yo, I got you. Let's walk this route together. So honestly, I would advise that, um, maybe taking a different perspective of it and saying, okay, what's going on in this individual's mind? And let's take it person by person because a generalization is definitely going to have people looking more at you as a crazy person and not necessarily the man. Okay, Felicia, why are men so crazy? Because God created woman. <laughs> Put a period on the end of that sentence. That is it. <laughs> All right, folks, that's our show for today. Keep writing us and sending those questions because we need to have them every week. So go ahead and send all of those questions to the black podcast at gmail.com. That's the black podcast at gmail.com. Start using you for the voiceover, bro. That was pretty nice, man. I don't know, man. We look forward to it. And I think we have a very, very lovely voice as our um, voiceover now, which is much prettier than mine. So, but get at us. Um, look for us on social networks. And make sure that whatever you do, you rate, you subscribe, you share, you like, and you pass us on to your people. Give us all the stars because we need them. And we are on all of the things at The Black Podcast. Yes. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcast. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify now. We're on Google Music Play. We're on SoundCloud and a couple others that I can't remember. But just type it in. We'll pop up because, you know, we kind of popping like that. And no, you can also black. find us at theblackpodcast.net. Theblackpodcast.net. Go and check out the website. Uh, got a nice picture of Dre on there. Oh, uh, man. Thank you very much. My wife we, took we that We put that on there for the hate mail. Well, I sure appreciate that. No, I don't mind. Hey, <laughs> I'm you can, kidding. Hey, all publicity is good publicity, y'all. So um, find me personally on Facebook at Andre L. McDowell, M-C-D-O-W. You can find me at IG at Life Scripts with a Z, L-I-F-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-Z. And on Twitter, whenever I use it at life underscore scripts, I will get back at you. Trust me, because I need some followers. So you write me, I'll write you back. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tam What's my name? Tamron. Tamron Cam. At Cameron Todd Scott. And you can reach me on Twitter at Cameron T. Scott. Hey, we'd like to give a big shout out to our producer, Keita, today. Kiki. Uh, for being Keita on the spot. And um, a shout out to our producer, Christy, over at Studio C. Thanks again for joining us. And we will be back with you next week. See ya.